0: Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 60, Supporting Others in Their Grief. I must admit, it's fun to watch the number of episodes climb. I'm a numbers person, so I like the even numbers. Like 60 is a nice, solid, even number. Those 10 numbers are fun, aren't they? It feels pretty good to be here with you every week. In this episode, this actually was not the episode that I had planned. It's not what I planned to record this week, But last night, as I was walking into the theater to watch It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I received a message, a message about a family, the Hanson family, who was flying from South Dakota, uh, where they had been, where the men in the family had been on um, a pheasant hunting trip. And they, nine of the 12 in the family died in a plane crash. I just was, as anybody would be, like when we hear news like that, it's just so shocking. And when you've experienced grief, like when you've experienced that deep grief, that overwhelming grief that we talked about a little bit in the last episode, you, when you see things, like when you see an accident on the road or when you hear about something happening, it just, it like brings you right back. Like you can, there's, there's almost a physical response because you can, you can imagine, you can imagine the pain that they're in because you felt that pain before. Also, my daughter had asked me how to support her friends who suddenly lost their three-year-old daughter last week. Both of these events have really hit home for me how important it is for us to understand, understand grief, understand how to support each other. And even though I had gone through these horrible things, like I had experienced the, you know, the death of my brother, uh, the, my divorce, the um, death of my two youngest children, I, I still, after all these experiences, I still felt unprepared to support my friends or to understand how to support them. And I I do have to say though, that I do, I felt like I was better at it than before, especially after my kids died. I really like when, when one of my friends lost her daughter five years later, I immediately called her like, I would have never done that before. I experienced my loss, but because of my experience, it did cause me to want to reach out right away and to show my love and to share my love. You know, the the movie last night, if you haven't seen it yet, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I am not going to give you any spoilers except to say that at one point, Mr. Fred Rogers, who um, was the main, one of the main characters in this, in this particular movie said, no one lives a life without pain. I loved the movie. I loved the messages there. They were so appropriate. They were so, it was so warm and I don't, I don't want to go into any details of it, but I, I just loved it. So I, you know, when the, it's been out a little while and the people that want to see it have an opportunity to see it, maybe I'll spend more time talking about that. But I, I really did love the movie and it added to my tender feelings after having talked to my daughter, after having gotten that message about this family and, and then watching that movie. I also had been reading a book and I wanted to share an excerpt from the book that I've been reading. And this excerpt actually originally appeared in Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book, Children and Death. If you remember, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was actually the, the, she was the one that, that talks about the five stages of grief. She's the one that, um, Established that, that idea that there's five stages of death and dying, five stages of grief. And she's wrote many books about those stages of grief, those stages of dying that she observed in people. And I don't typically talk about specific religious ideas or practices. So today I'm going to share a couple of thoughts that have a religious tone to them. And as I share a couple of my own beliefs, I just invite you to remember you can swap out your own understanding or wording as I refer to God. You can think of your higher power. You can think of the universe. You can think of text that is inspiring to you. But in this excerpt, this mother reports an experience she had with her four year old daughter. And this is, this is what she wrote. My daughter, Ruth, liked to sleep with me, and on occasion I would let her. This particular morning, she woke me up, hugging and shaking me. She was very excited, and when she shook me into some sense of consciousness, she told me, Mom, Mom, Jesus told me I'm going to heaven. I've been there, and it's beautiful, gold and silver streets, and Jesus and God are there. She was extremely excited, so excited that I had a hard time following what she was saying. My daughter was not an excitable child. Normally, she was a calm, contemplative child, intelligent, verbally skilled, and precise in her speech. To find her so excited that she was stammering, searching for the right words, was very unusual. She had never been this excited before, even at Christmas or the circus. Never. I tried to calm her, but she continued chattering. When they first handed her to me as a newborn, I was elated but my elation was tempered by a feeling that she would not be with me long. I had almost forgotten that feeling until now. Her talk about dying, which is something she never did before, brought back this uneasy feeling. I tried to settle her down by holding her on my lap. I told her, if you went to heaven, I'd miss you, squeezing her tightly with my eyes quenched tightly. But I'm glad that you had such a happy dream. Losing her was something I did not even want to think about. She pulled away, looked up at me, and emphatically stated, it was not a dream, it was real. But you don't have to worry, Mom, because Jesus said that I could take care of you, and you won't have to worry about anything. I am not a very religious individual, and when Ruth suddenly started talking about Jesus, heaven, and her going there, it was completely out of character. To my knowledge, Ruth hadn't heard of the golden streets of heaven, yet she was excitedly describing them to me now. She continued talking a steady stream about how wonderful heaven was, I again told her that I was glad she had had such a lovely dream. She stopped me, insisting, Mommy, it was not a dream, but was really, really real. She lay there in my arms for a while, chattering, and said that I shouldn't worry or feel sad because Jesus would take care of me. She finally sat up, climbed out of our bed, and ran off to play. It was just too much to think about. I lay there contemplating what she had just said. Jesus, heaven, her leaving me. It was just too much to even think about. So I got up and fixed breakfast. The rest of the day was normal, except between 3 and 3.30 that afternoon, Ruth was murdered. Through all the pain and anguish I felt at her death, I also felt a sense of calm. When things got really bad, I would remember her words, Jesus said that I could take care of you, and she has. When I read that story, I and the reason I wanted to share it with you is because of my own feelings that we don't go before our time. And even though these events seem horrible and tragic to us, I do believe that there is a life after this life and that this little four year old girl that told her mother that she was going to heaven and that she was going to be able to help her mother And then she was murdered. And when we think about that's a horrible circumstance, horrible circumstance that nobody, nobody would wish to happen to anybody. And when we see something like that, we we think they went before their time. But from that story, we can see that this little girl already had like even her mother had had impressions that she was not going to be there long. And I had had similar impressions of my daughter Carrie when she was young. I can remember holding her in my arms at church and thinking, she's too good for this world. And after she died, we found her Bible with a church program tucked into it where she had drawn, my daughter Carrie had drawn a stick figure of herself, and she wasn't a stick figure, but you know, a drawing of herself with a little arrow that said Carrie. So I knew it was her or me, I think it said actually. And and then there was an arrow and then she drew a man and above that man she wrote Jesus. And she drew an arrow of herself going to Jesus. So I share that story because as you're supporting others who are touched by death. In their family, like even in the movie last night, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mr. Rogers said to a family, death is part of our humanity and it is, but that doesn't mean that it's not super hard and that we do need, we definitely do need an outpouring of love. We need that support. But just remembering two things. One is that death is not the end, at least that's my belief, and that it's it's just part of our humanity, just like Mr. Rogers said. And that also, we are meant to heal, like we can heal. And even in these tragic circumstances, even under really difficult experiences, we can heal. It doesn't mean that it happens overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. And rarely do the people around us understand how long it really does take. And so as we're supporting others, we can remember that it is, that there is no timeline. And we, and to have expectations for people that they're going to show up a certain way is not helpful. But I've identified five things that I think can help us help others. And the first thing is to reach out. Reach out, reach out immediately. Reach out to your friends, reach out to your family who have experienced a loss. Share your love. There's no words that can take this pain away from them, but there are words that can help them to understand that they are loved, they are cared about, and that you are there for them. So saying things like, they're in a better place, or you'll get over this over time, or anything like that, that just like speaks to, that speaks to like, that tries to minimize their pain is not helpful. But things like, I can't imagine what you're going through, or I I am so sorry, just sharing your empathy for where they're at, Sharing that you're so sorry that you, you love them and that you'll be there for them. That is supporting. That is what is loving and kind. In fact, I was reading in a scripture that I was reading in first John four this morning. First John four, verse 16, God is love. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but for perfect love cast us casteth out fear. Let me read that again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. When we feel fear about reaching out to our family and friends who've experienced a loss, just remember your love. Remember your love for them. And that will give you the courage to reach out and share that love with, with your friends, with your family. When you offer help, this is Number two when you offer help offer specific help when someone has gone through if you if you've had this experience you can look back and remember like how numbing and how overwhelming the experience was so if someone comes up and says you know let me know how I can help our response is just like I have no idea how you can help I don't have, There's nothing that can be done. That's like how we feel. Unless you can bring that person back, unless you can, you can fix the, the, the issue. What help can we, when, can we actually give? But when we offer specific help, when we, when we show up at the house with a basket of fruit, when we come over and we say, I'm going to weed your garden or I'm going to go pick up your groceries or I'm going to, I'm here today with my vacuum cleaner to vacuum your floors because I know you've had a lot of people coming in and out. So I'm going to vacuum your floors. When we, when we offer specific help, then we're showing our love in a way that's tangible. We're showing our love and we're, we're showing up. The third thing is to remember that our grief is individual Our grief is unique. So every person is going to respond differently. So don't be surprised when one person is weeping continuously and another person isn't crying at all. Our responses are just are so individual that when we make judgments about the way people grieve, it's just not helpful. It's not helpful. And remembering that that they're an individual and they're going to they're going to express their mourning, they're going to express their grief in unique ways and that there's really no need for judgment around how they are grieving and there should be no judgment around how they're responding or even talking about it. I've shared before that just a couple weeks after the accident, we had seen a therapist and he had mentioned to myself, my husband, that when we go through traumatic experiences like this, it can cause us to have crazy thoughts. It can cause us to to really like our brain just gets a little scrambled. It gets a little scrambled because I I imagine that there's some chemistry involved in that because of, you know, when I, when I talked about like hearing about that accident or hearing about that little girl that died this past week, there's a physical response. Like I still feel that physical response to remembering my own grief. There's a physical response to our grief and, I do think that that chemistry does cause some scrambling of our thoughts and, and that's why we feel a little crazy. So when you're, when you're with somebody who's experienced a loss and they say things that, that seem a little off, you don't take too much notice of it. It's just the reaction of what's happened. The, the fourth thing that I would recommend is if it, if it does involve a, a death, you know, there's other there's lots of other types of losses that we can show up for and we can be supportive of our friends. But when it does involve a, a a death, say the person's name. Sharing your memories of that person or talking about them with their name means a lot to the family that has lost this this person that they've that they've loved. They want to hear these stories about them. They, they want to hear that person's name. And this really gives them permission to talk, which is what they need and to, in those immediate days, if they, if they feel like talking, some people will, some people won't. But if they feel like talking, it's really good. And when we can say that person's name, then it gives them permission to do the same. To say that person's name, to talk about them, to talk about their experience, to talk about their memories, these things that will help them to start to assimilate their experience. And the fifth thing I would recommend, and it kind of goes along with the, the first couple is, is that we show up and we stick around. Like we show up at their house, in their life, we, we are there and that we stick around and we remember that this is not, like for the people around us, when something bad happens, depending on how close they are to us, for friends or acquaintances, the experience for them is, you know, maybe lasts a few days. But the experience for the person that who, is, who has had this devastating loss, it lasts for months and years. So when we show up, And when we remember them five months, six months later, a year later, and we, we reach out and we're just like, Hey, I'm just wondering how you're doing today. And that's a really important phrase too. When we say, when we say, how are you doing? Sometimes that can, that, that feels even a little overwhelming. Like, how am I doing? Like, How how could I even explain how I'm doing? It's so huge. But when we say, how are you doing today? Then we're getting a response about what's going on for them right now, right now. And when we show up for them, when we stick around, when we reach out, when we share our love on an ongoing basis, we give people hope. We give people hope. So I'm just going to review those five things that I just mentioned. One is reach out right away, show your love, whether that's a phone call, text message, an email, show your love. Number two, offer specific help. Number three, remember that every individual is unique and will have their own unique experience and way of grieving. Number four, say the name of the person who's died and talk about them and share your memories. Number five, Show up and stick around. I hope you found this helpful. And I'm sure that there are other things that you think of that are important in supporting others as you, if you, as you've gone through your own experience, you've formulated like your own ideas of the ways that, that were helpful to you. So you can look back and you go, okay, this was helpful to me when this person did this or this happened. I would love to hear about. Those the other things that you think are important and supporting others. Now's the time to subscribe to the Build a Life After Loss podcast so you get every episode. And be sure and leave us a review. I love hearing from you. Again, I hope this was helpful today. And remember, as a grief coach, I lead you. I can lead you around the landmines and help you to stay on the path of hope and healing. You can schedule your free discovery session today at buildalifeafterloss.com. Remember, I believe in you. Love you. Bye.